1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 at the moment. It's going to save it for Christmas morning. <clears throat> it says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Lord God, we ask this morning, Lord, that we would be able to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Pray for my sisters here this morning, God, who have been constantly inundated with what the world has to say about this matter. And I ask that you would hear from their father this morning. And Lord, anything that is not of you, strip away, Lord. I ask this on the name of Jesus, amen. It's important to put these verses in context. They're very controversial, obviously. Peter is communicating them in a certain way, in a certain fashion, and they are timeless truths from the word of God, and they apply to the women of the church today, to the wives who are believers today. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to put our hope in the great salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ. And that is the context that Jesus Christ has come in and he has saved women. Amen? Yes, and he saved men. We have a great salvation. And as believers, Jesus is now our hope as men and women. And men and women in Peter's times were born again into difficult circumstances. They had difficult situations going on in their lives. When they were born again, their difficulties did not just vanish. Amen. And it's Peter's desire to write to these believers to not only encourage them in reminding them of the surety of salvation in Christ, but how then they are now to live among the unsaved people and in difficult circumstances until Christ returns. How many of you were, were born again and, and all of a sudden something happened on the inside of you, but nothing changed on the outside of you? Anybody else? Everybody else was still mean. Your job was still hard. The economy was still the way it was, whatever it was, Right? Well, how do you live now as a believer now that you're changed, you're part of a new kingdom, and you're still in the circumstances that you're in? What do you do with that? And this is what Peter is preaching to. These people are going through very difficult circumstances. We've already talked about persecution and all that stuff, but now Peter's getting down to how do you actually live your life in light of the people around you, the relationships that are around you? And so in verse 12 of chapter Peter as now these believers are living among unsaved people, Peter lays in chapter 2, verse 12, says one of the principles about how we as believers live now in Jesus Christ, live lives that glorify God in our current circumstances. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, fill in the word non-believers in that, in that place. Live such good lives among the pagans, the non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. That's the overarching principle when he's talking about all this submission stuff. This is what he's talking about, living godly lives in the midst of difficult circumstances, living such good lives that how you live in the midst of your circumstances and relationships, it brings the unbeliever to the place where they must reckon with God. You're not the excuse, amen? Yeah? That your life isn't an excuse for them not to believe 
And it's actually a testimony that Christ is alive and he's real and their hearts must reckon with that. And so in verse 12, he says that, live those great lives. And that's the principle, live godly lives until he returns. And now Peter gives several examples of how that actually is played out. First in verses 13 through 17, Peter describes how we get godly lives in the relationship to institutions of government. Human institutions, we were not born again in the vacuum of space. We're on the planet Earth and there are governments that, we've, that we are under. And he says in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, hey, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, underline that part, to every human authority. A godly life according to the Lord means that we, as believers, will subject ourselves willingly to the government. How's that going for you? This honors the Lord, right? And I went into that more last week, but verse 13 of chapter three says that this is for the Lord's sake. That's the reason behind it. That is why we submit to every human authority, not because we endorse everything the human authorities do or say, but because we fear our God, amen. And when we are a constant cancer on society in an unnecessary way, instead of a purifying effect, it takes away our witness. When we are upending governments, when we are posting things on Facebook we should not be saying, when we are undermining people and slandering people and all these types of things, what, how does that testify against Christ, uh, for Christ, amen? Of the change that's really happened. How does that demonstrate that we truly have a trust in an unshakable kingdom? That no matter what happens here, we're secure. And no matter what we have to endure, that we, we know in the end God is going to ultimately save us, amen? That's faith. That's what he's getting at here. And so our, our, our Lord desires that we subject ourselves to our government. In fact, in verse 15 says, for it, is, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And that's important to understand and remember the context of submission. It's because we fear and honor the Lord of God, we're gonna live such good lives that the people around us will have no excuse. We're not gonna go breaking laws and all that kind of stuff. Make sense? You ever ran into a Christian who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yet they, like, they don't pay their taxes, and <laughs> you know, they're cheating on stuff, or they're stealing stuff. It's like, hello, what are you doing? That's a horrible testimony. We're gonna be the group of people toppling governments in the name of God, or subverting governments, or breaking the law, unless those laws are directly contrary to what God says, and I wanna make that clear. When the king says, bow down to the idol, we don't bow down to the idol, Amen? So there are lines that are drawn, but everything else, just obey the king. Even if it's, it's frustrating and it's inconvenient and all these types of things, just do it. Does that mean that we cannot uh, run for office? Does that mean that we can't vote as our, we have opportunity in society? Does that mean we do not influence our society towards righteousness where God has allowed us to have the opportunities? Absolutely, be salt and light, go for it. Amen? However, we subject ourselves willingly to the powers that be out of the fear of the Lord. Why? Because that is our witness. That's our witness. I hope you can see that 
in the context so far was submission. And Peter goes and gives examples. And then there's another one that was a common dynamic among believers at that time. And that was dealing with the issue of slaves. What happened if you were, hey, one day you're a slave and then all of a sudden you hear the gospel, you believe in the gospel, you're born again, you realize that you are part of another kingdom. You've actually got a a master that is good and Lord of all over the universe. Is it time for you to pick up shop and leave? Is it time for you to start to fight for your rights and tell the, you know, slave owner, hey, the system is corrupt and you just start railing against it? Is that, is that what we're supposed to do? See, it's not speaking about the issue and the morality of slavery. The Bible does not sit there and support this. What it says is you're just gonna be in difficult circumstances as Christians. How do you live to win people? Amen. Boy, I'm not getting a lot of amens this morning. This is where I gotta preach harder. Somehow I think we're drinking the Kool-Aid. Should we run away? These guys were thinking like Philemon did. You guys read the story of Philemon in the Bible? That's the story of a slave. You know what happened to him? He ran away from his master, Onesimus. And he happened to run into Paul. (laughs) So guess what happened when he ran into Paul? He got saved. And Paul has this dear brother and he just pours out his heart about how much he loves this guy named Onesimus. I mean, this, this slave named Philemon, he goes, now, what I want you to go back, I'm sorry, the slave, his name is Onesimus, forgive me, and he says, now go back and submit yourself. And he writes a letter and sends it with him, and he gives that slave owner such an incredibly hard time. He, he just says, listen, this guy is so much more anything to me, anything he's done wrong, put it on my account, and by the way, you owe me your life. <laughs> He's all, he, he left a slave, now he's coming back what? A brother. He's a brother. And so there's just this testimony of, of how the Lord works in difficult circumstances in our lives. And so he says, it says to these slaves, he says, hey, in, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, yea, Because remember the word slave, that's just how you got a job back then. That's servant, servant servant-master relationship. It's all through the Bible. Take off your year 2000 glasses and look at history the way it is. That is the way the world worked. People had money, other people didn't. You wanted to go have work, you worked for them and you wanted your family protective, quite often you would do that. Other circumstances are, governments would come through and wipe you all out and you would be owned. What do you do in those circumstances? Life is just cruddy sometimes, amen? But you love the Lord, what do you do? You wanna win people to Christ because this kingdom is going away and how you live in the midst of those circumstances matters. It is your testimony. And so, submit. It's important to know that God did not save us to isolate us from mean people in terrible circumstances. Do you know that? Because how are those mean people in terrible circumstances supposed to change? By their good nature? No, you change people from the inside out, one person at a time. You are God's mission in the darkness, in the muck, in the difficult circumstance, in the hard marriage, in all those things that you're facing. You are God's mission. You're his plan. 
that he changed you and he now infiltrated the enemy camp with you. <laughs> and by your love and submission, even in difficult circumstances, does that remind you of anybody that we know of? Who had all authority and all power and yet humbled himself? When he could have just snapped his fingers and everybody would have been done with? That's our Jesus. And if he's alive in us, the same spirit should be um, manifested in us, you know? So sub we subject ourselves out of fear of the Lord, and I hope we can see that. And so the true issue that Peter is addressing is not how we fight for our rights, not how we fight for our rights, but how we lay down our lives now. Or it's not about how to expect and demand people treat us well. That is not what Christ is, is, do you read that in the New Testament? Now he speaks to Christians to treat people well, right? Is that what he addresses to non-believers? No. Actually, what, is, what, is, what does the Lord say for Christians to do to unbelieving people? He says, love your enemies, Right? So it's, to Christians, there is a code. This is what is expected. This is who we are now by nature. This is how we act towards our enemies and those who mistreat us. We don't fight back. We don't revile. We're trusting in the Lord. We submit ourselves under that authority for a time, knowing that God, the just, will come back and, and make all things straight. That's faith. Should we speak up? Sure. Can we speak up? Yeah. But it's not in a spirit of subversiveness and undermining and rebellion. That's, does that make sense? That's how the world works. So the point is that we have a great salvation. We've been born into an eternal kingdom. We are children of the Most High God and like Jesus, whose, his spirit now lives in us and we live such good lives and endure mistreatment at the hands of sinners in such a way that some actually would be convicted and turn and come to Christ. That's amazing. How many of you came to Christ through hypocrites? A couple of people. No one wants to raise their hand. But I'm just saying, <coughs> you can't, we, Christians aren't perfect, right? But you came to, to Christ because someone shared the, the, the gospel with you. Someone was actually living it out. You saw it, right? The Lord spoke to your heart, and, 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 and you saw the evidence happening in their life. That's how we come to Christ, Quite often, it's through people. Very seldom is it just one guy talking to you and then everybody comes to Christ. It's through the body. And so, Peter in chapter three is saying that this is how we live. And he encourages them to have and pursue godly living in relationships to government and slaves to masters or employers, employees, however you want to look at that in the modern day context. But now, Peter in chapter three speaks to marriages. And so Peter first addresses wives in verse one where he says, wives in the same way, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by their behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And so wives in the same way, the same way that we subject ourselves to government, the same way that slaves were to subject themselves to masters out of fear of the Lord, out of, out of reverence for God, trusting in him, that's the same heart, the same way. By the way, the men get it too later, don't worry. They were to submit themselves to their, their masters, you know, all this stuff. Now wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. The reason 
ladies, that you are commanded to do this has everything to do with your trust and reverence in the Lord. It has everything to do with that. Not, it's not based on whether or not your husband makes you happy or is kind or meets your needs or fill in the blank. It has everything to do with how you trust and revere your God. That is what Peter is saying. And I hope that grates against your soul because it grates against mine. It just does. That means that some of you are gonna be in difficult circumstances for sustained periods of time as a witness for Christ. And you're gonna hurt while you're on the earth. And your soul's gonna be broken, your heart's gonna be broken, but your love for the Lord is gonna outweigh those things. Mind you, women didn't, didn't have they weren't afforded the opportunities they are today in many circumstances. They were extremely unjust circumstances. And so this kind of submission, this willful humbling of yourself under the leadership of your husband and especially of an unbelieving husband is the context here, is for the Lord's sake. And please do notice here in, in these verses, Peter is speaking not only to a believing wife who is married, but to a believing uh, a, a believing wife who's married to a believing husband, you know, a believing couple there, but he's speaking definitely to a wife who has a husband who is an unbeliever. So you got a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. Read it again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Real quickly, is that the aim of your heart in your marriage? That your husband would come to know Jesus fully by how you act and what you do and what you say. Is that your heart? Or is it about how he makes you feel and what he does for you, and all these things. And let me tell you, I'm gonna hit on the guys, don't worry. We definitely need it. But this is a, this is a key thing. Notice first that wives are called by the Lord to submit to whom? Their own husbands. Not to other husbands, to their own husbands, amen? Amen, you got one, that's, that's difficult enough. Submit to your own husband, not someone else's husband. Sometimes, um, sometimes you know, there'll be difficulties as a pastor and, and you engage people and that's fine and they come to you to come tell you to straighten your husband out. And I've said, well, let's get him in the room because you have a, a relationship issue. You are submitted to that band whether you like it or not. That's what the Bible says. And if he's got an issue, there's nothing I'm gonna say that's gonna change his mind because the only thing hopefully that I'm gonna tell him is what God says because that's the only authority I have in your marriage. I have zero authority. Absolutely none. It's only concerning what God says about how you should do that, that, that Pastor Matt has some kind of authority. I'm just redirecting what God says hopefully in those circumstances. Amen? So submit to your own husband. 
God puts parameters on this. Secondly, God gives reasons why wives are to submit to their husbands. The first is that some of them are unbelievers. We talked about this. We have several God-fearing uh, ladies in, in, our, in our fellowship uh, who have who've come to the Lord and, and then all of a sudden believe, their husbands did not. And so you have this unbalance in the relationship. Someone's born again, someone's not. And so now what? And Peter says, God has now made you the primary way in which an, uh, your unbelieving husband might come to faith in Christ. You are the evangelist in that relationship. Do you know that? That's a privilege. That's an honor. You are the light there. That's pretty cool. It's also difficult to submit so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wife when they see the purity and reverence of your life. And Peter says, some of you ladies know the Lord is Savior and your spouses don't. And these unbelieving husbands, they were exposed to the gospel. In other words, they've heard the message of the gospel. They've heard repent, believe. And, and, and I'm, I'm assuming Peter is, is saying through, through the wives. Ladies, it is important that you share the gospel with your husband. Say the words. Preach the gospel to them. But here's the point. That they still unbelieve. What do you do? You model the gospel to them. <laughs> you preach the gospel through your words. As, uh, as Augustine says, uh, preach the gospel at all time, uh, but when necessary, use words. I love that. But I would say preach the gospel at all times and use words. Both. Double barrel. And notice Peter says it's, it's the same way that unbelievers do when they see how we live righteously under government, the same way that slaves went over their masters. And, you know, and unbelieving husbands are won over by the character of their godly lives. And Peter says that they might not be won over words, but they can see what's going on in your life. And they're, they are changed. Church, the gospel is not just a message. It is a person. The person of Jesus Christ living inside of you. He's changed you from the inside out. And that's the evidence. Christ in you. And when a husband sees the change in his wife's heart, when he really sees Christ in her, that she's different, that she's godly, that she's not trying to usurp him, it testifies of Christ. And, and I hope you see the, the, the parallel there. Christ who had all the authority and position in all these types of things, what did he endure and Why? Would he endure that? For God so loved. Our lives, how we act, what we do is, is the physical evidence of the message of the word. It's the physical evidence of the message of the word, amen? And Peter is saying, wives, submit yourselves to your unbelieving husbands so that they can see Christ. And by the way, to believing husbands as well, as it says in Ephesians and other places. But remember the example of Christ as is that um, while we were who yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the idea, that while your husband is still yet a sinner, you die for him. You lay down your life for him, you witnessed him, you do those things that, it's like the world tells you, now you need to pick up your bags and you need to do this and that. It's like, that's the flesh, that's the world. Listen to your father and follow Jesus' example. Um, and, Jesus laid down his life not because he was less but because he loved us enough to win us over. You know that? Not through dominance. He didn't dominate your heart, did he? 
One day he will. <laughs> but not now, but through humility and love. So ladies, godliness is not manifested in dominance and pride. Godliness is not manifested in dominance and pride, which is what the women of this world would tell you that you must be like. That is the message, loud and clear. Establish yourself. Don't take anything. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get equal. Get over. Do whatever you want to do. That's the message coming through. And Christ says, humble yourself. But the circumstances aren't fair. No, they aren't. Amen? They're sometimes horrific. They're horrible. And I'm I'm not advocating certain things. I'm not advocating people stay around and get raped and beaten. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? So disclaimer. So godliness is really not manifested by dominance and pride. No, godliness is wrapped up in humility like Christ who did not come to serve but uh, to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life, although positionally he was as God in the flesh. And so gentleness, ladies, a quiet spirit, purity, reverence, these come from trusting the Lord deeply. The other things are don't. They come from pride. And when Christ is living in the heart of a woman, it is the most beautiful thing to behold. When a woman acts in this way, it is the most beautiful thing to behold. It is fitting, it is right, it is good. I, I live with two godly women, my wife and my, my daughter, and let me say that they convict me like no other. Not through their dominance. That doesn't get me. How, guys, how's that work for you? When wife's trying to dominate you and tell you what to do and all this kind of stuff, how's that work? We're prideful, we're horrible. But when there's this quiet submission, and yeah, they speak the truth and love, absolutely. But through that humility, the Holy Spirit does an amazing, deep, and profound work. Any men in here say amen? (laughs) Reluctantly? You know, especially Christina, you know, I see my sinfulness at times as a husband and as a father and it's her godly character. Her trust in the Lord. Yeah, she's frustrated. But it's her godly character that just, I've got to deal with God. She's not the excuse. I am. And, and it convicts me. The Holy Spirit says, listen to her. Listen to what she's saying. Do this. And we know that's a long process, but... But I often have to come to God over and over and over and cry out. How much more for an unbelieving husband when, when his wife is pure and right and good and holy before the Lord, precious in the sight of God, and he is just a unsaved, you know? And it's like, there it is. The Holy Spirit comes in and just begins to show him himself in light of her. And, and, and that's the opportunity that some might be saved, Amen. It's so different than the world's take that appeals to a woman's pride and says that you must assert yourself and establish yourself. That's a carnal, worldly woman. And they're all over the place, and they're in the church. 
but a woman who submits to her husband, who trusts in the Lord, demonstrating through their godly character, man, that is truly beautiful in the sight of God. That is true beauty. And that's what that's where Peter's going here. Look at, and so Peter says in verse four, hey, your beauty, ladies, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. He said, he's going for the jugular, isn't he? Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in the sight of God. What makes a woman beautiful, ladies? I think this is something that I think women, especially in America, struggle with deeply, profoundly. The culture we live in, they have defined it has defined beauty for you. It's told you what beauty is. Fathers, it's told your daughters what beauty is. And as you're looking at that, make no mistake that it has a whole lot to do with your image and very little to do with your character. How many of you women feel the pressure of that? Say amen. Just a couple. <laughs> You're pressured. It's, it's heavy. It's hardcore. That's what the culture is pushing on you. To be all of this. And it has to do with the way you look. Why do you think these singers have to reinvent themselves every two years? Why do you think these, like, oh, never mind, that's a good one. But your heavenly father has something to say about your beauty. Do you know that? The one who created you, the one who made you brand new, the one who formed you, he has something to say about what is beautiful about you. And it is not what has been reinforced by the culture around you and your own fallen nature, by the way. And so Peter describes beauty, that is, that the unsaved woman is, is, he describes it this way, he says, here's the two types of beauty. The unsaved woman is preoccupied with a certain type of beauty, and the beauty that God desires is another. The worldly woman is mainly concerned with appearances, mainly concerned with appearances. The outer shell. Young woman, listen up. Mainly concerned with the appearance. The godly woman is mainly concerned with character. Do you hear that? Ask yourself, am I mainly concerned with character or am I mainly concerned with how I look? Ask yourself that. Be honest before God. Is that guy gonna like you for the way you look or the way your character is? God happens to work both together, but there's an overemphasis on the outward and an underemphasis on the inward in our culture. Peter describes the godly woman focusing on the inside as those having a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, please hear me. Peter is not saying that a godly woman is forbidden from getting her hair done or wearing jewelry or wearing nice clothes. That is not what he's saying. 
He's saying that you don't have a problem with that, ladies. You have a problem with the other stuff. The inward woman, the inner woman. I don't need to talk to you about your hair and all that stuff. You could probably do half of that and be just fine. Amen? Whatever that means. <laughs> Getting into dangerous territory. <laughs> Stick with the scriptures. <clears throat> that isn't what he's saying. <laughs> it's like, I got to go home, Matt. Be quiet. He's not, he, he is saying that, that that is not the beauty that is of great worth to God, that outward beauty. Outward beauty, he says, is fading. How many of you ladies have figured that out, especially the older season states? It's fading. It's like, it's just not keeping up. Amen? Yeah. And see, God has the, the foresight. He knows the whole thing. He goes, listen, that's a dying fight. Don't invest your whole life into that. Don't do the outer shell. It's going away. I'm going to give you a new one. And it's going to be unfading, unspoiling, never, and we could fill in the blank. It's never going to do any of that. Yeah, I'm telling you, heaven is, when you're secure in that, you're secure in the Lord, amen. Salvation is like a whole package salvation, right? Amen. But what I'm saying, and what Peter's saying is here, that, that outward beauty is fading, but godly character, it's an unfading beauty. Invest in that. There's nothing kind of cooler to see old women that love Jesus and I'm just going to say old women because I just want to make it like the, fa- the beauty is gone. The fading is gone. I know we try it, but I mean the body falls apart, right? But what is left is who you are. Amen? And God says invest in that when you're young, women. Invest in that. Work day and night on your character of your soul before God and invest less on the outside. Put the effort that you do that into this. Again, it's not saying you can't do that, but don't make it your whole thing. Don't worry so much about your image. Worry about your character of who you are. Because let me tell you, when the honeymoon wears off and you're older, you're stuck with a person. And that's the person you want to be with, that person who loves the Lord and has developed those things. It's beautiful on the inside. Amen? I've got one. You know, just beautiful on the inside. By the way, these are the verses the Lord gave me to knowing, I, I, when I was, before I was married, you know, I just started hunting. I, <laughs> you know, just my soul woke up, you know, in early 20s, and I was just going, okay, Lord, this is a real deal, and, and, I, and I just reckoned in my soul, you need a woman of God. I'm like, Lord, but like, I want a beautiful woman of God. Do you trust me? Yeah. And he, he, like, he delivered, way delivered. So I'm just saying, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. It's just, is that I've got a woman of God, and that character is, is just, I love her. I love who she is. And that's important. That's the beauty of greatest worth. Ladies, develop and maintain and grow your heart. Spend more time with the Lord on your heart than your look, okay? Not that you can't do the look. I'm proud of y'all, but I'm just saying (laughs) it's the other thing. 
the inner beauty of a woman. As some translation put it, the inner person of the heart should be what is fostered and adorned with beauty in women who have been born again. The fact that they have Christ in their hearts and life, his life is in them, that should be their beauty, beauty the adornment, the change in character, the development of that, that is beautiful, amen? And Peter says that the adornment of the inner self or the hidden person of the heart is precious to God. That is what God deems as beautiful. And if you're trying to please God, it's important that those things are, are there. In other words, that is what is, what does it say? It's precious to God. In other words, he, it's, it's, above, it's the greatest value. And so, and so foster that with the Lord. Again, if all you focus on the outside, God's not really impressed with that. That's a, that's a human thing, and it's fading. You can't maintain that. And Peter exhorts wives, he says, and I would say this goes for all women, that when you are a woman who in your inner heart is adorned with a gentle and quiet spirit, that is great, of great worth unto the Lord. And notice the adornment of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle comes from the word having mean humble or a meek attitude. Ladies, meek does not mean weak. It's hard because it rhymes, but that's not the reality. Meek means authority under control. Jesus was the meekest man that ever lived. Total authority, yet subjected himself to things. Why? So that he might win some. And that's the picture there. That a woman who has a meek, a, 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 they're, they're under control, and in a, in, a, in a quiet spirit, they're not trying to dominate. Why? Because they don't need to assert themselves. Why? Because they trust in God. That's faith. That's how it manifests itself. They're trusting in the Lord to work this in this guy. That's how it works. Quiet and still means tranquil. Again, resting, resting in her confidence. That's a, that's a powerful woman. A woman who is resting and confident in her position in God doesn't need to assert herself. She is trusting in God. And now to give an example of this, Peter quickly points out someone who actually lived like this in verse five and six, and we'll quickly read it. It says, for this is the way the holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. He's given an example. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed, obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Oh, double down. So um, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give away to what? Underline that verse, ladies. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, by no means is Sarah a perfect woman. Have you guys read about Sarah? <sighs> she got some issues. <laughs> Same with Abraham. There's some issues going on there, right? All right say I don't even want to go into it this morning. And by the way, Sarah is described as being very beautiful in appearance. But notice that's not what Peter's focusing on. What is he? What is he looking at? He goes, what is beautiful about Sarah is this. Her submission to her husband, who was often boneheaded, but who trusted the Lord. It's interesting. That's how she showed her trust in the Lord, was by submitting to her husband. Abraham showed his trust in the Lord by submitting to the Lord. And that's how the family works. The husband is the head. The wife is subject to the husband, just as, as uh, Christ is subject to the father. And so... Peter's saying, look at Sarah. She obeyed her husband and called him Lord. And the Greek indicates that this wasn't just a one-time calling him Lord. This is a continual way of life. 
Now, really quickly here, I'm just going to unpack this for the last minute here. He says, now Abraham was looked to as the father of faith for the men of Israel. That would have been their example. And Jesus, if you get in John 8, he says, you're sons of the devil, you're not sons of Abraham. You know, all the guys would have tried to identify with Abraham because he was the father of faith, right? Well, who do the ladies look to? They looked to Sarah. Well, she's the one who had the child of promise. That's huge, right? You see that in Hebrews 11. And Peter's saying, just like Abraham trusted in the Lord, and the men of Israel admire and seek to emulate him, so did his wife Sarah trust in the Lord by submitting to her husband. That's the parallel he's making. And let me tell you, both require a great amount of faith. Amen. Even calling him Lord, and Peter says, you are her daughter's. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And I think Peter points the issue of why women do not want to submit to their wives. Why, the, why wives, why, sorry, wives do not want to submit to their husband. Why is that? Fear. Amen? What kind of fear? 31 flavors of fear. Tons of fear because you're dealing with a man. What about an unbelieving man? That's what Peter's talking to. Fear. Husbands can be scary things, especially unbelieving husbands can be difficult at times, and the fear is real. What if he treats you poorly? What if he doesn't listen to you? What if he goes in directions you don't want to go? All those reasons and more, and, and you could fill in the blanks. They war in the soul of a godly wife, and so Peter's saying, do what is right in the sight of God. Don't give way to that fear. Trust in the Lord. Fear the Lord more than you fear your fear or your circumstances. Submit to your husbands, and in this case, unbelieving husbands, so that by your conduct, your inner beauty, by your character and actions, they might come to the Lord. Hard teaching. And for the men, he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And that's all I need to say to the guys. And so... <coughs> I think we should pray now. <laughs> and we will. Because I want to come back at the guys next week. <laughs> Amen? Every, I shouldn't have said anything, huh? <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to watch football this week. Uh, bring, your, bring your husbands. <laughs> Listen, ladies, I hope you, you see the reason behind this. Do you see the, 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 what the world is telling you to do? Do you feel the pressure? If you're living to please man and to please this culture and, and to fall into it, you're just going to be a worldly woman. That is not who you are in Christ. You are not a worldly woman. You're a daughter of the king. Your, your position is with him, seated in Christ Jesus for all eternity. You can't get any higher. Do you know that? In Christ, there is neither male nor female in the kingdom to come. Right now, we have roles. That's the way it works. God ordained it from Genesis until he comes back and we get our new bodies and all that stuff. But this is how it works. What does God say about the greatest in the kingdom of God? The greatest is the what? The least. Do you think in the kingdom of, of, to come that it's going to be a you know, the man's world. I have no idea how it's going to look, but I tell you what, 
It's predicated on our obedience to the Lord and our loving Him now. And as you submit, even in difficult circumstances, and as you love the Lord, it says, humble yourself in the sight of God and He will lift you up. And by that way, that, 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 that every time that is used about humility, it's, it's, it's always about, about denying your sinful self and, doing, and not doing what you want to do and what your flesh tells you to do and, and falling before God. James does it. Peter does it in chapter 5. It's always about that in the context of, of, of your own sinful depravity. That's what it is. You can't get out of that. Deny yourself. Humble yourself. And what does he say? What's the promise? He will lift you up. God resists the what? The proud. He resists the proud wife. Do you understand that? But he gives what to the humble? Gives grace to the humble. Hear the voice of your father. Go to your husband this week. Serve him. Love him. Submit to your God. Yes, open your mouth. Communicate. I'm not saying those things can't happen. Amen. But ultimately, settle in your heart that you are going to trust the Lord and follow Him. Amen. And I understand that's a balance and how all that works. I don't. And what do you do when it's difficult? I don't have the answers to all that, but I do know that God says that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. This life is short, and this is why I, I you know, again, if I. You know, if you, you guys have daughters and all this type of stuff, I'll tell you what, character is so important in the life of your daughter. And it's important that you don't sit there and, and talk about, you know, how things look all the time with them. And you start speaking more to the issues of their heart and their character and who they are as daughters of God as opposed to what they look like. That's, that's important on some things, but it's superficial. I hope you understand that. But what they really need to hear is who they are in relationship to their God. And fathers, you have a big point of, uh, you can speak deeply into the lives of your daughters. So there's a lot going on there. And, and, and I would s- hope to see that the women in our church are honored and cherished and lifted up and considered. And, and, and as we get into the men, you're going to see how that pulls, pulls together, hopefully, but especially this generation coming up that is getting shoveled a pack of lies. That somehow humility and submission is, you know, the worst thing on earth when Jesus actually says, that's who the greatest people are. So who are you going to follow? And we'll get on to husbands, consider your wives, love your wives, lay down your lives, die for them, make it easier on them, Amen. We'll get into that next week. And I would also say, sorry, one more thing, <laughs> is that when women are looking for a, a mate, it's important to, um, man, they've got to have a man of God. A man of God. Nothing else. Guys are horrid. <laughs> what? <laughs> Something new? Without Christ, I mean, you see how the world works. 
Amen? You want a man who's fighting and wrestling with the Spirit of God. Train your daughters to look for that guy. I'm telling you, even above the economics and all that kind of stuff and what they can provide and do, I understand that's an important thing, but I mean, a guy who will wrestle with God and who loves God, that's what you need. And by the way, that's who your wives want you to be. I feel it. Amen, ladies? So let's start being spiritual about things. Amen? Let's continue to press into the things of the Spirit and, and, and realize the trappings of this world and the carnality of it and the simplicity, simplicity of it and, and the superficialness of it. And, 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 and let's pray that God would grace us with, with character of Christ in us as we just foster our relationship with him, as he fosters that with us, as Christ in us grows in our daughters and, and of course, in our sons. And, and may, may they, together, as they struggle through their own sinfulness, may they see Christ in one another. May they push together in Christ. And may they be a testimony in the darkness of the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Lord God, we, we love you and we thank you for this day. And I just want to thank you for each and every precious woman in this room, uh, young and old, Lord. just want to thank you for them. And I ask, Lord, that you would encourage your daughters this morning, that they would know who they are with certainty in you. They would hear your voice above all about who they are in you and, your, and their, their beauty in you, the unfading beauty that you desire to develop in them as Christ grows within their hearts. And so, Lord, I, I ask that where our ladies have, have fallen short in this area, that you would cause them to repent and that wives would once again submit wholeheartedly to their husbands out of reverence and love for you, Lord God. And so, God, do a work in our hearts, and I pray that you prepare the hearts of the men to hear what your Spirit would say to them and us this next week. Lord, we need it. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.